Hello, and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and I'm joined today by Bruce Turner. Now, Bruce is known as Overlanding with Bruce here in South Africa, and he is an extremely interesting character that has not only his own personal businesses, but he has a passion for helping people come to South Africa and to Southern Africa and explore this incredible continent. So he uses Hiluxes to provide people with the access into the backcountry, but he also has a personal love for Land Rover. So we talk about how people can come to South Africa, they can use a Hilux to explore, how they prepare the vehicles, what to look for on a trip, some recommendations around places to go and key places to visit, kind of how Bruce sets up a trip for someone coming in to do their own self-managed, self-directed, self-navigated, self-driven drives around Southern Africa. But then we get into a really fun conversation around using modern Land Rovers for exploration on in such rugged terrain, in such remote locations, because Bruce actually uses just a couple year old Land Rover Defender and he's had really good success with his vehicle. So there's a lot of information out on the internet around what does a Defender work like off-road? How does it last? What the reliability is like? So we really dig into how he has modified and prepared modern Defenders for overland travel in remote locations, but also the successes and some of the challenges that he's had along the way. So please enjoy my conversation with Bruce. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for being on the podcast today with me. There's a couple things that I'm so excited to talk to you about, uh, starting with your use of modern defenders for long distance overland travel here in Africa. So we're going to talk about that. But then I also really want to do the deep dive onto how you work with people when they're coming to visit Africa and do their own self-drive journey around the country. But let's start off the conversation a little bit with you mentioned that you were born in Zimbabwe. So tell me, where were you born in Zimbabwe and how did you end up in South Africa? Okay, so um, I grew up in, back then it was called Salisbury um, in Zimbabwe, but now it's called Harare, just on the outskirts in a sort of very horsey area called Borodale. Okay. And uh, I mean, I had a great childhood. We had, you know, very much outdoors type of uh, upbringing in there. I was on farms most of the time. And uh, unfortunately, my parents got divorced. So mm. my mother came to South Africa, my father stayed behind and I actually came with my mother yeah sure when I was very young I mean I was probably about 12 13 years yeah old. sure yeah that would be quite a change wouldn't it to yeah. go from being in the in the wilds to in such a big city absolutely you know it was South Africa was always this massive metropolitan city for, mm. for us guys growing up in Harare um, so it was it was quite a big change you know, mm. to come to school here in Harare I was at an all-boys private school in South Africa I was at a, a male female school what do you call it your medium school? co-ed yeah co-ed school yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a big change sure now I had all these ladies around me and I <laughs> didn't know how to talk to ladies you know? <laughs> trial, trial by fire huh? yeah exactly so. <laughs> oh that's incredible so when you look back at your time in Zimbabwe what were a couple of high points what were a couple memories that you had that really sparked your passion for the outdoors I think where we specifically we were just outside of Harare and we had a small holding there um, that was not deep in the bush but it was 
enough in the bush that it made it feel like a real bush. And we had horses and all that sort of thing. And I used to spend a lot of my time just exploring mm. because TV only started at, I think, Hoppers 5 in those days, you know, and before that was just a test pattern. Oh, black and wouldn't white. the world be better off yeah. if that was the case? <laughs> None of the social media apps worked until 5 p.m. Think of all yeah. the kids. They'd be outside. They'd be in the pool. Yeah, absolutely. Like so, you, they'd be running around in the bush. <laughs> so I had to swim, ride my BMX, or um, be in the bush, and most of the time I included all three in that. Yeah, in each day. Yeah, in each day. <laughs> that was my life. Oh, and, and but what I can see why that would be such an incredible yeah. experience yeah. growing up and how it would just create this deep love for the outback for yeah. you. Yeah. So um, w when you when you moved to South Africa at 12, so then did you still get the chance to go back often to Zimbabwe? Yeah. Or? So I used to go every December uh, mm. for the Christmas holidays to visit my family, my father and, my, yeah. and his, you know, and the rest of my family. And Harari, I was very fortunate to have that because a lot of my family are very traditional. So, mm. you know, Christmas holidays was a big thing for the family and everyone get together on Christmas day for lunch and share gifts and all that sort of thing. And uh, every Sunday as a family, we'd, we would generally do something. Mm. So we would either bride or barbecue, um, or we would go to the dam and go skiing with jet skis, uh, not jet skis, uh, speed boats and that sort of thing. Um, or we would just be out and about, you know, yeah, doing sure. something. There was this place just outside Harare called Dumbashawa where we used to go and just climb rocks mm. and swim in rock pools and things like that, you know. Mm. So it was a very basic sort of upbringing, and I'm very, I'm very fortunate to have gone through that because yeah. I think a lot of the children nowadays are missing that. Yeah, and I know that I miss that in my own life. Yeah. I have to really have a lot of discipline around not being on devices yeah. to make sure that I'm out playing on my BMX or yeah. in the pool or in the bush, right? Absolutely. I think yeah. we have to remember to tell ourselves to do that yeah. even at even at this age, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So when when you first started traveling in the in the backcountry, were you traveling in a Land Rover at that time? No. Um, funny enough, my first vehicle, um, I used to work part-time at uh, the local store, CNA, which was a uh, they kind of sold books and stationery just to earn some extra money and i bought my first car which was a vw rabbit one yeah. oh, those are cool those yeah. are cool we call them golfs here yeah, yeah. it was a rabbit in america and uh it was 1100 cc it had a lot of power <laughs> yeah yeah not really but uh it felt like it yeah, it felt like it whatever you old you were yeah. <laughs> and that was my first overland vehicle oh cool and uh, my first trip in it was from Johannesburg to Harare. Oh, wow. You drove back home with yeah, it. Yeah. Incredible. You got yeah. to show your dad your new car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I thought I was so cool in it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you were. Yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that was my first overland vehicle. And uh, um, about four months after I got my license, I was visiting uh, Harare, visiting family. And one of my dad's friends asked me to drive a Series 2 Land Rover from Harare to Byra. Oh, wow. Which I did. And uh, yeah, that was quite an experience. And what did you learn from that first four-wheel drive trip? You know, um, I was a little bit young to actually, you know, remember everything, to be honest with you. Yeah. But I, I remember it was just after the war um, in Mozambique. And we actually drove in convoy with the Zimbabwean uh, Defense Force sure. uh, for protection. And, you know, at that stage, the roads were all damaged, but the bridges were still intact. So you had a you know, one foot sort of climb up onto the bridges and you couldn't do a decent speed, so you really yeah. had to go slow. But the Land Rover sort of left a, a mark on me because the steering wasn't great. You had to, you know, nine o'clock, three o'clock it all the time uh, to, just to keep it going straight. 
and then you'd stop every 200 kilometers to check the oil. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. That's like any good relationship. And I think that's maybe why we love Land Rovers is that it is, it is a relationship. Exactly. You got to make sure you're paying attention. You got to yeah. make sure you're communicating yeah. with the vehicle, <laughs> checking, you know, checking things out. It's exercise while you're driving. <laughs> that's you know? right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Oh, that's, what an incredible journey that that would be. I mean, I yeah. so many of the people that I've talked to in Southern Africa, those are their first memories mm. were in a series Land Rover. And it's not... It's not too far off from me either, because when I was growing up, you know, looking at a National Geographic or um, looking at the Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom or on the television or whatever, that's what you saw. Mm. You saw a series Land Rover, you know, stopping and taking photographs of an elephant or whatever. Mm. And for Americans, um, not only Southern Africa, but particularly where you live now in South Africa, it is a place that so many want to visit. Mm. And you've been sharing with me, um, this isn't a goal to, to necessarily promote your business, but the way that you describe how you work with people that are coming to South Africa, yeah. um, I'd like to work through that process with you okay. on the podcast to help people think. So. You know, think of a, of a young couple, they're living in Seattle in Washington, and they both so desperately want to come and see Africa. It's, this is the Garden of Eden. In, in my mind, there is no place else on earth like Southern Africa, despite its challenges. Yeah. Um, because with, with any great or incredible place, there's also going to be the yin and the yang. There's going to be challenges that come with it. But that's part of the reason why it's still accessible. It's still inexpensive by comparison exactly. is because of those challenges. So a young couple, um, they're, they're looking to come to Africa and they reach out to you to say, hey, we'd like to hire a Hilux and we'd like to go see Southern Africa, what would be the first things that you'd ask them? So what I normally do is I try and, I try and gauge what sort of experience they have. If it's their, you know, I figure out that it's their first trip and they haven't actually, you know, used the Hilux, slept in a rooftop tent, I try and be honest with them and sort of give them a realistic sort of vision of what it's going to be like. Um, because the last thing you want to do is have an unhappy person sleeping yeah. in a rooftop tent uncomfortably. You know? Or it so could be also be dangerous for them too. It could also be dangerous. So yeah. I try and um, find out what sort of experience they have and then I, I give them a realistic sort of picture of what to expect. And then I also try and find out what their aim is in, in visiting Africa. You know, So in Johannesburg, you, you can go and do a lot of his, historical things from apartheid years, or you can go to Kruger National Park and yeah. see the bush. Um, and then, you know, and the wildlife and everything. Um, you could also go to our neighboring countries quite easily, like go and see the desert in Namibia. Or you could go and see the, you know, camp in the wild in Botswana or visit Zimbabwe. It's easier to get yeah. to those countries than people realize because the roads in South Africa, for the most part, are very, very good. Yeah. Um, the recent trend towards these coal trucks, I think, is going to create some issues yeah. for the country. But... Um, I'm sure they'll figure that out. They'll get more coal going by rail again, but I noticed that in the last drive. But for the most part, you know, you're at the Namibian border in a day, you're at the Botswanan border in a day, mm. and then you're into these completely different landscapes. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, both Namibia and Botswana are incredibly safe Yeah. as well. So, so where, like, let's say that they, 
they want to go and see Botswana and they want to go see Namibia, what would you what would you recommend that they bring with them? What should they have um, in their own kit that they're going to bring yeah. over? So I pretty much I pretty much uh, arrange everything except your personal items, your your food and your clothing. I mean your food and your cold drinks. Uh, drinks. Um, but I also help with that also yeah. because obviously they're arriving in a strange country. They don't know where to go to shop and everything. Yeah. So generally we um, we would help them do their shopping also or mm. make recommendations. Um, I make would, sure they know what Biltong is. Yeah, make sure they know what Biltong is yeah. at yeah. <laughs> Um So good. Yeah, exactly. So good. And then, Whoever's had beef jerky, this is like beef jerky times 10. So it's so good. <laughs> so good. Um, so yeah, we'll help him with the whole process because I know what it's like. I've traveled overseas and you arrive in a strange place and nothing's familiar and you don't know where to even buy coffee. Yeah. So I try and take that away. That uh, you know, there's also because Africa can sometimes be a little bit disorganized with uh, bookings and that sort of thing. I try and help them through that process or make recommendations. And all of this is a sort of add-on free service that I do mm. because they're hiring my vehicle. And what I'm trying to achieve is that people build a relationship with me and then they can actually call me if they have any questions along the trip and then i know my vehicle's safe also <laughs> well for sure in fact it was cool the other day yeah. uh, which thank you again for letting me borrow the vehicle no, and, and use it on use it in south africa but just the other day you you uh, sent me a whatsapp and you're like is everything okay because the the tracker switched off so exactly. it's so cool that you have i mean you on a Hilux in South Africa, you need to have a tracker yeah. because they get, they're get they easily stolen. Um, and they're also very desirable for someone to steal. Yeah. So um, another reason to drive a Land Rover. But. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you have a tracker on the vehicle, obviously, to prevent theft. Yeah. But then you're all, you are also able to keep track of where people are at and, and are they okay yeah. or... Um, you know, have they not moved in a while? Or in my case, I believe you had it where the tracker maybe shut off. Yeah, so what in your case, what happened is that I got a notification to say that the battery had, battery power had been lost. And that's, you know, sometimes it happens because there could be a signal issue or the battery mm. could be quite low or somebody's actually disconnected the mm. battery. So I was under an overhang. Maybe that's what it was. Could it was possibly be, yeah. 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 So it's always good to just send a little WhatsApp, say everything all right, and you kind of, then I, you, you start doubting yourself and say, well, they can, you know, if there's a criminal involved here, yeah, they can also answer. Yeah. But then you answered in a specific way that I knew it was you. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I forget what you said, but I said, okay, no, that's definitely Scott. Uh, so, you know, what people also need to realize without sounding negative, there's a lot of desperate people in Southern Africa that need to feed their family and they, yeah. they desperately need to get some sort of form of income. And sometimes that is criminal, yeah. unfortunately. Um, so I try and provide a little bit of training beforehand or a little bit of, uh, you know, sharing a bit of knowledge, what to be care careful of. Um, and then also just keep a sort of an eye on you. If that, not, that sounds a little bit weird maybe, but you know, just no, make sure you're safe. But I think know? that that's something that people will appreciate. Yeah. Um, they're in a foreign land and they have someone, they, they trust you enough to take, to hire the vehicle from you. And they know that you have an incentive to keep them safe as well. And and really, in my experience, you know, the, the, 
it's good to be mindful in Johannesburg because there's more organized crime. Yeah. But once you get out of the big cities, then it's really just a crime of opportunity. Yeah. It's very. It's not like you're going to come across bandits on the highway. No, no. It's very, very rarely. Um, I've never heard of it, but it's certainly possible. But yeah. you're usually like you leave a camera on the passenger seat and somebody busts the window. Yeah. So it's a good idea to just be be mindful of your personal security. Um, I, everyone that I know that, that uh, lives in South Africa has, has a story. Mm. Um, and so people have encountered challenges for sure. Uh, so it's, I think it's important to be mindful, don't drive at night. Yeah. Just those basic things yeah. that make a big difference. But driving at night, there's two two reasons for that. There's obviously the criminal side that you are at risk, um, but there's also, you know, there's sometimes animals on the roads yeah. and badly lit streets and that or drunks or yeah. people or drunks that don't have their headlights yeah. on or yeah. one headlight's broken out or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, so um, that's all sort of part of the process when I'm preparing someone for a trip because I get a nice understanding of what they understand. I've mm -hmm. just had three lovely Australian ladies at uh, first time out of Australia, first time in Southern Africa, and they've just traveled through Botswana and Zimbabwe, and they had the most amazing trip. Mm -hmm. um, so I also try and mix up a little bit. The Cape in South Africa is very nice. So Beautiful. So you go to the, the Cedarburg. Cape. And oh, it's, it's, unbelievable. It's spectacular. Um, so you go to the Cape, you can have those winelands and the Cedarburg and all that sort of thing. You can go up to Namibia, across to Botswana, into Zimbabwe, Mozambique, into Kruger National Park and back, yeah. depending on your time, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it leads, leads to a nice sort of round trip where you don't see anything twice. Yeah, in fact, um, the folks from X Overland were here um, not that long ago, last summer, and they did a big loop like that. So for those that are listening, the X Overland will be launching their Africa series, but that whole loop that they did, you could do with a higher vehicle, yeah. um, and the, and the Hilux is really well suited to it. It's they're a little bit underpowered, which I believe brings some safety with it. So you don't tend to drive as fast. Yeah. Uh, they tend to handle the load pretty well. Like this this truck feels heavy. Yeah, uh, I don't know what they come in at on weight, but you know that canopy seems fairly heavy. And there's drawers back there, and and batteries, and yeah. water tanks, and. All that other stuff so they handle the load quite well um, and then they're also fairly fuel efficient and quite capable off-road so it's it's kind of a sweet spot and then they're also not so expensive like a Land Cruiser where you're you could be spending another couple hundred dollars a day on a rental yeah so they're exactly. an affordable rental as well so and is they, that why you pick Hilux? I picked them because I mean everybody's I'm a Defender person, and I love my old Defenders, but let's be honest, it's a truck. Yeah. And if you're not used to driving a truck around a very hot climate and bumpy climate, bumpy roads and that sort of thing, you don't really want to put your family through that. Yeah. You'd rather them be in a sort of a more sort of comfortable vehicle. And I chose the Hiluxes because it was a good balance between performance and comfort. And you can have an air conditioner that actually yeah. works and cools down the That's inside right. of the car, you know, That's and right. you don't have to worry about the safety of your children in the yeah. back. Yeah. So the Hilux was, and it's also a very reliable vehicle. Yeah, you for know, sure. It, things can break on it. Um, it's not, it's not uh, indestructible. Things do break. Um, what uh, have you seen uh, as a more common failure? I've had, I've had some minor electrical issues, like uh, like the window not opening. I think yeah. you experienced that. I've also had uh, the air conditioner stop working. In mm. fact. Uh, Christmas Eve this year I had to drive to a place called Tuer Riveren uh, which was 
about 1200 kilometers from Johannesburg to go and swap out a vehicle because the air conditioner had stopped working. Sure. And I did that because the couple that had hired the vehicle were from the UK and they mm. were busy going into Namibia in the middle of summer where they're going to sort of have temperatures of 45 degrees. <laughs> Forget it. Yeah. Forget I mean, it. They, they were going to suffer. So I had to do that. And, yeah. uh, um, but that was an air compressor that just decided it had, had enough, you know. Yeah. And these vehicles are put through some tough conditions. They're well maintained, uh, Toyota maintain them. Uh, like your vehicle, even though it's not due for service, when you bring it back, it will go straight to Toyota, get a full check over, full, mm. full service, even though it's not due. Because I don't know what you've done with it. You may have gone through rivers and I don't know that. Yeah. Um, well, Jess drove it, so anything's possible. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm not saying it could have been abused. But no, I'm kidding. It could have been abused. Or, yeah, you know, sure, of um, course. And... So I make sure that when the vehicle goes out, it's in top condition. You should you put a, a G-force measuring device in your, with your tracker so you can know if it takes, a big, yeah. it takes a big hit. Yeah. So, I mean, there are some deep potholes on these roads for yeah. sure. But, I mean, Toyotas are so well suited for that. They really are a nice confluence, like yeah. you said, of comfort, capability, capacity, yeah. performance off-road. Um, yeah, they really are a nice combination yeah. of that. So when, when, when you talk about a trip like that, you know, Americans don't have a lot of time. Mm. So if, if this young couple says, hey, I've got two weeks yeah. from when they land, you know, they're gonna land in Joburg to when they gotta fly back out again, um, what route would you typically recommend that people do over about two weeks? So it all depends on the individual, to be honest with you. I can have them spend two weeks and only do a thousand kilometers, or sure. I can have them do two weeks and do 10,000 kilometers. Sure. Um, I, I usually recommend to people that they don't do too much because then you're only sort of scraping the top and you actually don't deep, you know, dive down deep into the areas. Like yeah. If you go to Okavango, you want to spend three, four, five days there minimum. But a lot of people drive through there. It's too bad. And that's it, special. Man. Yeah, it's it's such a special place, and and sometimes you need to wait for nature to come to you. Yeah. You can't go to nature all the time. Yeah. And you're driving on this little strip road in thousands of square kilometers of bush. The chances of you seeing lion, for example, yeah. is very slim. Mm -hmm. But if you camped in one place for five days, you've got a bigger chance of seeing more game because they're going to walk past all the, you know, things. One like of the that. most incredible campsites that I ever stayed at was there's a, a small inholding that's managed by the local tribe and you can get a permit and you drive north out of mound, you know, several hours and you camp right on this river. And I mean, there's like, there's elephant coming to drink, there's yeah. giraffe. And we were sitting around the campfire and I don't know what little hair I have on the back of my head <laughs> stood up and I just knew something was off and I kicked my flashlight on and here was a hyena coming yeah. closer to the fire. I just, I mean, it was beyond incredible yeah. to experience. I mean, there's just, there's absolutely nothing like that. And, and do you recommend people go to like the Rhino Reserve on the way north? So, yeah. Is again, that Kama? Is that what that's called? Kama Rhino yeah. Sanctuary. It's a great stop off because it's only about seven hours from Johannesburg. That's right. It's, it's a good stop. Yeah. And it's, it's quite a nice experience because I always recommend people stay there two nights. A lot of people stay there one. Mm. Us locals, we generally stay there one night, but you miss out. You don't get to see the Rhino. Um, and from there, uh, there's so many different routes and it all depends on, on the individual. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people may not even go as far as that. May, yeah. They may just want to go to Kruger National Park. Yeah. 
which is really easy. And it is, and yeah. it's Kruger, Kruger's nice because you can self-drive. They have pretty big campsites, and it's a massive park. Yeah. There's a ton of wildlife in there. It's really easy to see wildlife in there, I found. But then again, exactly. the things I didn't like about it is, like, like in the Okavango, you you shouldn't really get out and, and wander about, but you can at least get out of your vehicle. Like in in the in the Kruger, they don't allow you out of the car. No. They don't even want you rolling your windows down. Yeah, the thing is, is that there's you know you're an experienced traveler, but there are a lot of people that sort of aren't used to being around wild animals, mm. and you need to sort of protect the crowd, not, yeah, not sure. you know the individual. And I've seen photographs where people have got out of cars to take pictures of lions. Yeah. And lions, I mean, they'll, they'll cover five meters in one second. You don't uh, have a chance. You don't even have a chance. Yeah, by the time you f realize this thing's going to eat you, it's already eaten. Yeah, it's <laughs> on top of you. And, and it happens quickly, and a lot of people don't realize that. So you've yeah. got to sort of create these rules to protect people sometimes. Yeah, for know? sure. So. But the, the Delta is, I That's mean, it is, is, it is really like the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And, and then from there, it would be very easy to head into the Caprivi yeah. or to go into the Kalahati yeah. or just, there's so many incredible, incredible options. What, what are your, if out, outside of, of Zimbabwe in the countries that we just talked about, what would be your top three or four destinations that you think people should see? Sure. I think, I think everybody needs to see the Makhari Khari Pans in Botswana. You know, that's 2,000 square kilometers of nothing. It's mm -hmm. like being on the moon. Mm -hmm. um, and there's Kuba Island and then Kukunya Island, which is uh, more deserted. Uh, Kuba Island is run by the local tribe there, and you pay them for the camping and that, which is a great stopover. And it's got these big round rocks and these baobabs. And um, there's also a little bit of history involved there where people um, think that it's connected to the Great Zimbabwe ruins, because there are ruins on the um, Kuba Island. No one can explain it. They think that it could be you know, an initiation site or it could be a burial site. Mm. No one actually knows. Or it could be a trading route because you've got um, in Mozambique, you've got Masikani, mm. then you've got Great Zimbabwe ruins, then you've got Kubu, and you've got all these ruins of almost a straight line. And no one can really explain why. Interesting. Yeah, and then you've got Mapungubu in, in the Limpopo right. province, you know? Right. So it's a really interesting place, but it's also a spectacular place. If you want to see stars and, and the Milky Way mm. in that area, the, the air is crystal clear because it's so dry. And there's something so neat, Bruce, about someone that lives in the Northern Hemisphere yeah. to look up at the Southern sky. Uh, yeah. Because it, it, we don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, an astrologist. I don't, I don't know a lot about the sky, yeah. about, the, about the stars, but when I look up at the stars in the Southern Hemisphere, I know I'm looking at something different. Yeah. It just looks different. Yeah. And then you find the Southern Cross, and then you start to realize, like, this is an entirely different view. Absolutely. And, you know, at Kuba Island, it, it, you, you can walk out on the Pansy because there's no predators um, and, at night. And if you just lay on the pan on the ground and look up at the stars, you'll actually start seeing different colors in the Milky Way. Mm. You'll see the greens and the blues and the aqua kind of colors in the Milky Way once your eyes get adapted to it. And the stars, you know, a lot of people that sort of visit these places also come from cities. Yeah. So they're not used to this blanket of stars. Sure. And you go out there into this pitch dark and you see this crystal clear sky with these amazing stars. It's breathtaking, even if you're not interested in astronomy, you know? Right. Yeah. I find it to be, yeah. it absolutely leaves me breathless. Yeah. It's just absolutely beautiful and 
there is so little light pollution yeah. in Africa. I mean, we're in Johannesburg, so you don't see many stars here, yeah. but um, it doesn't take that long out of the city, and there's really no light pollution yeah. at all, and you just see you, get, you see so much. Yeah. All right, so so, so that's Mahari pans, Mahari Hari plant um, pans, yeah. If you want to, three places. It's a little bit unfair for Namibia and Botswana, but there's so many different places. Like you could go to the Okavango. Okavango is always spectacular mm. whenever you go there. Then you go to southern Namibia to all the deserts and everything there. It's beautiful there also. What um, in southern in in southern Namibia? I haven't, other than just driving through on my way to the Trans Frontier Park, mm. um, because I'd spent a lot of time in the dunes, mm. in the coastal dunes. So. And also, there's a Tosha. I mean, yeah. what, in Namibia, what would be the couple so of real... With Namibia, I, I generally try not to include Namibia with a Botswana trip um, mm. for a short-term, two-week trip. It's too, too, it's too, too vast. Yeah. You, you know, if you're going from Johannesburg to Namibia and back, you must budget on 6,000 kilometers yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, because it is so vast and the distances you travel are mm. hundreds of kilometers, you know? Yeah. So generally, a Namibia trip, I try and get people to do a... Maybe to go to Namibia, then go back to Cape Town, okay? Um, and if they're going to do that over two weeks, I'll generally try and get them to stay in southern Namibia instead of going up north because sure. they're going to spend every day driving. Yeah. And it's a big country, yeah. surprisingly. And generally, and I know certainly in my family, I love to drive. I'll drive all day, every day. Mm -hmm. You know, I love exploring and everything. But my wife and my daughters, when they were younger, they, they weren't on the same page as yeah. me, and they didn't really enjoy that as yeah. much, you know? so. But it's so good to, to understand what their needs are, yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say southern Namibia, pretty much anywhere, the, the canyons, the deserts, and everything like that, even up to Valfus Bay, Atosha. Yeah. And then you've got Okavango and then Makarikari. There's also central Kalahari. You know, and, I'm, I, and as I'm talking, I want to mention this place, but I'm saying, okay, there's only three, but you know, there's so many of these great yeah. places. And that's it? the truth of it, is, yeah. is that we could spend a hundred lifetimes yeah. and not see it all. Yeah. And, and, and we're talking about within 10,000 kilometer round trip, yeah. you couldn't see it all. No, not a, not a lot. And that's why I try and convince people, especially over two weeks, to take it easy and just like to slow down a bit. Yeah. You know, I see far too many people, they're rushing from point A to point B to point C to point D, and they're actually saying, oh, but we didn't even see lions, but they didn't even give it a chance to see yeah, lions, you sure. know? And then I know some people, they've gone up to the Okavango and they've stayed at like Third Bridge, and they've heard lions and seen lions every other day, you know, because they've actually sat and they've waited for nature to come to them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's such great advice. Yeah. Any other considerations, like when you when someone is looking to hire a vehicle, what do you think they should be looking for in the company? What what do you recommend the Hilux only, or are there other options that you think are a good option? There's a lot of different options. Now, what I normally do with my clients um, is that I try and find out their needs. Mm -hmm. If they don't drink coffee, I don't include a coffee press and a percolator yeah. because yeah. it just takes up space and weight. Um, but in Africa, we find that a lot of people like instant coffee, but mm -hmm. a lot of Europeans, they don't like instant coffee. Mm -hmm. So I cater for um, overseas people that might have a special taste in coffee. So we'll have a percolator, or we'll have a coffee press, and that's You're a wise man. <laughs> a wise man. Don't mess with people's coffee. I'm eh? telling you, <laughs> if you can get that right, 
<laughs> I mean, you can even screw up the booze a little bit, yeah. but man. I mean, even there's even simple things. If, if a family is coming in and they're coming with kids, I mean, even there's big kids that do this also, but we, we like to fry or barbecue marshmallows. Sure. I don't know if you do that in the States. Yeah, we but, do, absolutely. But the problem is, is if you go into the desert, you don't find a stick. Ah. So I've got special little sticks that extend <laughs> for the marshmallows for the kids. And, uh, you know, the, the cars, if the kids are coming, then there's always a bag of marshmallows for the kids. Little things that we try and do that sort of differentiate us from other higher companies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to consider that we're not really a hire company. We're kind of lending our cars to some friends at, uh, when it comes. It definitely seems that way, yeah. Bruce. And I and I, I guess I, it's important for me to acknowledge that and compliment you on it. Um, Thank you. You have this business because you love it, yeah. not because you need it. Yeah. And that means that you have a, a small group of vehicles. You are very cautious who you lend them out to and you give a lot of personal attention yeah. because you have a love for traveling in Africa. So um, I think that that's very honorable of you because you're helping people to have the experience of a lifetime. Thank you. So um, very cool what you're doing. Uh, thank you very much. You know, and yeah. you'll, you'll probably end up with a hundred Hilux, but right now you got what, six of them? Sure. I don't know. Um, you know, the gray hairs that come with it, I, <laughs> I might end up losing my hair. <laughs> you know, I used to hire uh, you, you used to hire <laughs> No, no, no. no oh, jeez. I, I mean, I, I've actually, a friend of mine asked me the other day, he says, how many vehicles would you like? And I said, Turn three, and that was four months ago. Okay? <laughs> I've now got five. Yeah, but in all honesty, I don't want to lose that personal touch because I really enjoy meeting and interacting with people, and mm. also people are flying from all over the world to come and use this vehicle, and it's their main means to get to their dream destination. And I want to make sure that this vehicle and this sort of uh, way of getting there is in top condition, and there's yeah. no surprises, and it meets all the expectations because. I would hate to fly 18, 20 plus hours yeah. to a destination and be miserable driving a horrible little car, you know? And and you real a lot of these bigger companies, you I think all of them try really hard, but you just you don't always know what you're gonna get. Yeah. So uh, one of the things about your trucks that's very cool is that there's a logo on the door. Now <laughs> all of your higher vehicles are Toyotas, but because you love Land Rovers, there's actually a modern Defender on the Overlanding with Bruce logo on the side of the door. So that, that's our segue into talking about uh, modern Defenders. And I know that you have owned a lot of different Defenders, classic Defenders and everything else, and you and I could spend days reminiscing about our love for the brand, but I, I am really interested to talk to you about your experience with modern Defenders because I do find that, well, for example, my classic Defender has never failed to start. It's never had an issue. Um, you know, I use, I use Land Cruisers for work and I personally love Land Rovers and I drive them uh, a lot. Um, and I've never had an issue with a Land Rover. It's never left me stranded. Um, I think a lot of the reliability issues, it's not that they're unfounded. It's just that they don't necessarily correlate to a ruined trip. Mm. Um, I think that people have issues with Land Rovers. I think that uh, the air suspension, if it's not kept in good condition, can really give you some trouble mm. but usually it's it's something fairly minor or it's something electronic um, but the 
modern Defender has actually developed quite a good reputation uh, for reliability. I think Land Rover's come a long way. So what Absolutely. what inspired you to say, all right, I'm going to stop driving these classic Defenders and I'm going to buy this newfangled machine? What brought you to that? I think I turned 50 and I grew up finally. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know... I think the world's changed. Yeah. Um, I know certainly in my lifetime I've seen a lot of changes in the places that we travel to. You know, places where it used to take us two days to get to, you can get to in a day now because the roads have improved so much and, yeah. you know, you don't need to be uncomfortable. And my father's got a saying that he always says and, and he says, any fool can be uncomfortable in the bush. Yeah. And. I, I've been driving air suspension vehicles with the Discovery 4 and 5. I tried the Discovery 5 for a short while just before COVID and then I, I mean I really liked it. There was nothing wrong with it as far as I'm concerned but I also had the 3 um, mm -hmm. and I didn't ever have problems with suspension with the air suspension so I think a lot of the problems are brought on by people that don't know how to use it. So mm -hmm. for example um, I had a friend that complained that his air suspension kept overheating and it was actually the pump that overheated. Yes and that's common yeah. And what people don't realize is that the, the vehicle ra raises um, up into off-road mode when you press the button, but it drops down at 55 kilometers an hour. And what people were doing is they're driving on the roads and the road conditions got better, so they sped up and the vehicle would drop. Then they would have to slow down, the vehicle would raise, and they'll do this the whole day, and eventually this pump would overheat. Mm -hmm. It's exactly like your tire pump, how, how hot it gets. And it would protect itself and go into like a limp mode, and, you know. So that's actually not a vehicle problem, that's a user problem as far yeah. as I'm concerned. And then I also know... Um, and there's some, not to interrupt, I'm sorry yeah. to, to no, no. interrupt the school of thought, but for those that are listening to help them through that issue, um, one of the best things you can do in that case is there's these little, they're called a Johnson rod or there's some other things that you can do and raise the vehicle in all modes slightly. Yeah. Because then when you're in normal mode, it's what used to be off-road one yeah. or whatever, um, and then the pump isn't running so much. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, I also find that it's very seldom where you need to be at off-road height at 70 k's an hour, because right. if you're doing 70 k's an hour, the road is good condition. Yeah. What's that, 40 miles an hour? Usually I mean, it's sand tracks, you know, where you got yeah. a little bit of a higher center yeah. pump. But generally on those sort of tracks, I wouldn't be doing 40, 50 miles an hour, mm. you know, because you catch a, a corner wrong, you're going to roll the car, or you've got a good chance with a yeah. load on the roof. So, or you hit a G out or something like that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So generally I find that the air suspension, that then you take the new Defender, it's got something like 85 or 86 ECUs, and people say, oh, if one of those fail, the car's going to come to a stop. But they don't realize that there's a lot of mundane tasks that ECUs do, like control the radio or control the heating HVAC, or, sure, yeah. you know, control the electric window and that sort of thing. And, but there's also some important things. But what Land Rover has done and what gave me a lot of confidence in the vehicle is that they built in redundancy into the ECU. So they've mm. got up to five backup units, okay, and ECUs that can adapt and back up the important ECUs oh, interesting. to keep the vehicle going. It's also, after many years of driving these vehicles, the only vehicle that I've had warned me that the battery's low. Oh, sure. So it's got a really silly feature that when you open up one of the doors, the dashboard all comes on. But if you're camping for a weekend or a few days and you keep opening the doors, this is coming on, it's using your battery power, so your battery drains. And uh, what happens is it actually makes this noise, it pongs and, and uh, it tells you, battery low, please start vehicle. 
and I've never had a warning. Yeah, and I've never had that in a vehicle. Mm. So, so there's a lot of silly little things like the dash coming on when you open a door, but you can overcome that by leaving the door slightly ajar, not mm. catching it. So you actually then the system shuts down and it doesn't flatten the battery. Ah, that makes sense. You know, so there's there's ways around everything. Um, if I understand, so you had okay, so you had a Discovery Five, and and I'm going to yeah. pull in some of the conversation that I had with Kingsley Holgate too. Okay. So he had he had a Discovery 5 that he took to the easternmost point of Africa, which is in Somalia, um, on the horn, literally the horn of Africa, and he had to use a private military escort or private security escort to get there without Amazing. getting kidnapped or shot. <laughs> um, so guys with guns, and he, and he drove these cars 70, 80,000 kilometers, um, drove you know, them essentially around Africa and never had a failure. Mm. And he's currently doing, he's at 40,000 kilometers on the modern Defender going to, I mean, through Chad, through, he went, he went through South Sudan. He like, it just like the, the places that he's taking these cars. And the only thing that he had go wrong was a battery died. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Like that's the only thing that's happened to these cars. And when he told me that, it just made me realize, like, I think that a lot of this anxiety that people have around defenders, I think it comes from either a lack of mechanical knowledge themselves or from just a genuine fear in the possibility that something might go wrong, which is, I think is valid. I think it's valid to assume that Land Rovers are complex. They are less reliable than a Land Cruiser. So there is certainly a greater probability that something will go wrong. But statistically, it really doesn't. Yeah. Well, I think that Land Rover, you know, and I've got no affiliation with Land Rover, but Land yeah, Rover have, yeah. the Land Rover have progressed a lot. In the 90s, they went through a bad spell with the Discovery 2 and that oh, sort yeah, of thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the TV5 motor. And they went through this bad spell, and I think that sort of um, gave them a bad reputation. And people haven't forgiven them for that. Yeah. And that reputation stuck with them. But there's a lot of good things that they've done in the new Defender, like, for example, all the electrical connectors. They, I forget the rating, but they, they are rated to be underwater. Two yeah, meters IP67. Underwater. IP67. That's that's right. something like that, um, which I don't think many other vehicles in the market, including the Land Cruiser, have. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I wouldn't want to yeah. speak to that. But I know that the, the Land Rover definitely does. And it's the sealing of the doors and the amount of, of weather and water sealing that they have that allows them to achieve such yeah. deep water ratings. And if I'm not mistaken, now I've, I've been in some terrifyingly deep water in a modern Defender when I did the trip through Namibia with them. Um, and I, I'll post some photos um, in this episode, but um, it was up over the bonnet, but I know you've done that recently too. Yes, yeah. So talk about how deep was this water that you took the Defender? Okay, through? first of all, I don't condone deep water crossings. I generally, my They're rule quite is, unsafe, yeah. Yeah, my rule in overlanding is nothing higher than the top of the wheel. Yeah. Um, I, and I try and stick to that rule. But what had, what had to happen is my wife and I had crossed this little river crossing and we had gone into a section in Miremi where um, we were game viewing and the river had risen. And when we wanted to come back, it was over waist deep, okay? And... I had to, you know, go and walk the water crossing as you do, but you've got to be careful because there's crocodiles. There are, yeah. There's big crocodiles. So I took a spade for protection, <laughs> false protection. <laughs> but it did make me feel better, but it still wasn't the wisest thing to do, but it was better than driving a car. And I eventually found this 
a shorter crossing, but it was a deeper section for about two meters. And I weighed up uh, the other sections, they seemed a little bit looser, um, but they were longer crossings. And I thought, well, I've got more chance of getting through the shorter one, even if I just get the nose out and I get stuck without the nose. Yeah, sure. And you can winch from there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there was a tree had fallen down on the other side, so it would have been a good winching point. And I, after some assessing, I decided to take this water crossing. And I got my wife to film it, fortunately. I thought, you know, let's make it good. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the water actually came up uh, on the windscreen. And the only thing that was wrong with the car afterwards is that one of the mud flaps had come loose. Yeah. Okay, there was nothing else. I mean, I, I actually, afterwards I was a little bit angry with myself, but we didn't have a choice for doing a water crossing that deep. But the only problem I had afterwards is that one of the mud flaps had just unclipped. I clipped it back then, it was fine. Yeah. And in all honesty, I think that clip had broken previously mm. um, because I haven't had that happen to me since yeah. um, on any water crossing. Um, there was no water that came in the doors. There was no lights. There was no ill effects at all. I checked the um, the filter. The filter was totally dry. And do you have a snorkel on yours? Yeah, I have a snorkel on mine. So raised air intake. A raised air intake. Yeah, you get in trouble saying snorkel. Yeah, exactly. I, I found that out. But um, yeah, no water got in where it went. And the engine compartment was surprisingly clean and dry. Mm. So water hadn't even got in. And the defenders have a really great feature when you put it into wading mode. People say, well, what's it going to happen? Yeah. When you put it in wading mode, it's got these flaps that close down in front of the radiator. And when you're crossing rivers, there's a lot of stuff floating in the river that can block up radiators. So these flaps close and actually protect the radiator. And it shuts down the fan too. And it shuts down the fan. In the old days, we used to take a piece of top right. and put it over the front. Now these new defenders you don't have to do that, you know? <laughs> so what what uh, model, model Defender is this that you have now? Uh, right now I've got the D300. It's an HSE. Um, so it's a diesel? The diesel 3 litre, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, it's incredible. It's sort of, on a trip when it's fully loaded, I run at about uh, 10 litres per 100, 10, 11 litres per 100. That's really good. Which is really good. I'm not sure how to convert that to gallons. Just good. It's good. Okay. Yeah. There's very um, few four drives in the US that get that kind of economy. Yeah. So it and and it's a really comfortable sort of and it's got a lot of power. You know, there's a lot of times where you've got narrow roads and you follow these trucks in, through Africa, you know, and it comes to a very short overtaking place and you need a lot of acceleration to get. My old defenders used to sit behind the trucks for days. Yeah. With these new ones, you've actually got enough power that you can quickly overtake safely, yeah, you know, sure. and not put yourself at risk. Um, and what I notice about them too is is that it, it, for a stock vehicle, it has one of the finest ride qualities, oh. even better than a Range Rover. Yeah. It just ha off road. It has one of the one of the best ride qualities yeah. of any full drive. Yeah, absolutely. That air suspension is just you just you get to camp after ten hours of driving on tracks, and you're just you're not that tired. No. You actually look forward to driving, you know, yeah. and, and the air conditioner works, not like the old ones. Yeah. The old ones used to cool your knees. <laughs> yeah, you know? I've got that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they cool My your knees. My knees are freezing. Yeah, and the rest of you are like sweating and everything. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, you know, you've got a nice climate-controlled, quiet environment. Mm -hmm. If you've got stuff on the roof, there's going to be a bit of wind noise, but generally that's it. There's no rattles. I, I mean, I... The, the vehicle is actually too quiet sometimes because yeah. you have a bunch of keys in your cubbyhole and then you hear the one key clicking yeah. against the other and you say, what's rattling? And that's mean, you know. Yeah, there are some things that you, you can feel a little isolated because yeah. it is so quiet and the suspension is so yeah. well dampened. And then the steering feels a little artificial because of how it's designed with the, yeah. elect, uh, the electric pumps and everything. So those are some things that you feel a little disconnected from the experience, but 
over a long journey, it's that reduction in driver fatigue that I think gives you a better experience. Yeah. And your family shows up happier and, and less frustrated and everything else like that. Mm -hmm. So you've really only, it sounds like you've had a problem with a Mat low battery and a mud flap. That's it. And that's it. I and had a cracked windscreen, but that was a truck that threw around. Yeah, but that can happen to that anything. That can happen to any vehicle. And then you had another Defender before that. And yeah. did you have any issues with that one? So what actually happened is that with my Discovery, new Discovery, or the Discovery 5, I I, trade, I wanted to sell it and get the new Defender in 2020. And then COVID happened. Yeah. And I'd sold the Discovery, but the new Defender hadn't arrived. And, and you know, at that time, we didn't know if the world was coming to an end. So of course. So, you know, this big thing called COVID was happening. So I phoned uh, Yaku, shame, the late Yaku who's passed away now, may you rest in peace. Um, I phoned him up and I said, listen, would you mind if I cancel? I know you've sold my other vehicle, but I'm a little bit concerned about this COVID thing, you know, that's happening. So my vehicle was actually given to somebody else that I had ordered and I canceled it. Um, and then a, a, probably about six or eight months later, I thought, well, we got one life. Anyway, whatever's yeah. going to happen in the world. That, um, that isn't that a Land Rover thing? One life, live it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then I phoned up Yaku and I said, you know, have you got another vehicle? And they had a demo model. Mm. Pretty much exactly the same as I'd ordered. And I bought that. It was a D240. So it was the 200 horsepower, I think, pet, uh, diesel motor. Mm. And it was great. I mean, I traveled. Is that the one that you can fit the 18-inch wheel on? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I actually imported some 18-inch wheels. Yeah. Uh, a, com a company in the UK makes comprobative wheels. Yeah, those are nice. Yeah. Um, and I traveled most of Southern Africa like that. And any and issues with that vehicle? Not at all. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think. I, you know, same battery warnings, um, but apart from that, no no issues. Yeah. And I've got dual battery systems, and I, I, I actually stole some ideas from some of the Aussie guys, and I made a little drawer system with the table in the back of the fridge and everything. Um, so it's everything I need in a vehicle, yeah. you know? And so you're with this new one, you're just happier with the power plant. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's a very, I mean, they're, I mean, they're so similar other than the engine. Yeah, you know, when you're driving the D240 um, at 100 kilometers an hour, fully loaded, maybe towing, something like that, you feel like you're driving a little bit hard. Yeah. With the D300, you, you don't even feel like you're driving. Mm. It's I do remember so that. Power. When we drove the Defenders in Namibia, it was actually just before COVID. You know, I left just as COVID was kicking off. Okay. But we went and we went did Venzel's Pass and a lot of dirt roads. And I intentionally kept trying to drive the diesel because I wanted to get a sense mm. for the rest of the world vehicle. Um, and it, it, it wasn't a powerhouse, that's for sure. It was yeah. To me, it was more than adequate. I mean, yeah. I drive a 300 TDI classic yeah. Defender. Uh, so it feels more than that. Yeah, it felt like a rocket ship compared yeah. to that. But no, I mean, I think that overall, most people that are having little errors come up, they usually clear on a key cycle. Um, I just haven't seen people have a lot of issues with it. But again, it's I don't want, I also don't want to misrepresent hmm. the fact that there is a greater likelihood that something would happen yeah. uh, with a Land Rover, but not. But it's not. It's certainly not the the fire brimstone and doom yeah. and gloom. Uh, you know, touch wood. I haven't had any issues, and I think that I, I, I would like people to also realize that you always hear and read about negative things that happen. You never yeah. read about the positive. Yeah. And I think that in the first year, if I remember the the figures correctly, in 2016 when they stopped production of the old Defender, I think they sold 12,000, mm. and they had averaged at about 16,000. Excuse me. There's a fly flying. That's around. okay. <laughs> uh, I think they had averaged at about 16,000 per year for the last 10 years or yeah. something like that. When the new Defender came out in 2016. 
2020, which was COVID year, they sold 64,000, if I remember correctly, in their first year. They've become incredibly popular. Yeah. So, you know, with those kind of sales figures, if you're reading 20, 50 complaints on the internet, it's actually not really a lot if you take a big a picture of what's been sold out there. The volume that's been yeah. sold. I mean, I've got a, locally, we've got a new Defender WhatsApp group mm. where we sort of stay in contact and we sort of give each other hints and help, help each other out and, you know, um, share sort of advice and that sort of thing. And there's, there's been a couple of minor issues, but in all honesty, I don't think anyone's been left where they need to tow their vehicle. Yeah. Um, I, the one guy did have a coolant leak, um, and as a safety precaution, they towed the vehicle, but he didn't have to tow the vehicle. Yeah, he could have just kept he topping it up. Yeah. He actually arranged for the vehicle to be towed, well, Land Rover arranged um, for him to have the vehicle towed, just yeah. in case. But if that happened in deep, dark Africa, where there's no civilization around, he could have actually driven it and every few kilometers checked the water level. Yeah. You know? Well, that makes yeah. me think of, again, like what Kingsley has done, you know, hundreds of thousands of kilometers in these modern Land Rovers, Disco 5, yeah. new Defender, and they've just not had any issues. Mm -hmm. It's pretty, absolutely pretty incredible. So, um, what do you think of the 130, by the way? I'm curious. I'm itching for one. Eh? I, I, I think it's my favorite. Yeah. I, I now have come, and and it's un, it's so unfortunate because the 110 is so magical, yeah. but I've now, I'm like, either it's got to be a 130 or it's got to be a 90. It's yeah. like somehow I've like yeah. ab like abandoned the 110. You know, my problem is that I've done a lot of mileage with that uh, 110, and it's it's kind of like cheating on my wife almost if I don't buy a 130. <laughs> you know? For the... For the for a different model or a better yeah. looking model or something like that, <laughs> um, it's still something I would probably consider. I think if I, if I had, uh, I like this. I like the way that it looks, and I yeah. like the that little bit of extra space because yeah. I like to sleep inside the cars. So for yeah. me, it would be just right. So for me, um, if I, if money wasn't a, a a question and I could pretty much build my dream overland vehicle, it would be a one thirty with a pop up roof. Okay, would, uh, who's doing that? I don't think anyone's doing Oh, that. so you'd figure it out. Would, you'd make a plan. Yeah. <laughs> I'd buy one with a sunroof, take the sunroof out, and there's the whole ticket to, to there the you top, go. you know? How, how cool. Um, but obviously, you need to have quite a big budget for something like that. Yeah, too. sure. But it would be an amazing vehicle, I think. And then what else, what else do you find or do you recommend for, or what are the modifications that you've done to your Defender 110? Okay, so um, the only modifications is I changed my tires. I put BF Goodrich all-terrain tires on it um, because they've got a slightly tougher uh, sidewall. And I also like the um, aggressive um, tread pattern on them. Um, I've put an auxiliary or dual battery system in it. Where is the battery stored? The battery stored under the back floor. Okay, got it. So if you've, if you've got the diesel or the petrol uh, defender, you lift up the rear floorboard, there's a lot of space under there mm. uh, for tools and a spare battery. So my battery's in there. Um, and it's a simple. And do you use a lithium or? No, I use a normal deep cycle battery. Yeah, sure. I still lithium probably would be better, it's lighter, um, but they're about three, four times the price they're here in South Africa. Yeah. And the old system still works perfectly yeah, perfect, sure, fine for sure, me. Sure. So you know, I don't know if it's really worth spending that kind of money yeah. on the on the new lithium, although it's it's a very good system. And then I use the National Lunar DC to DC uh, dual battery system. Sure. And I've been using National Lunar. I mean, I've got no, no affiliation with them. I use their fridges and their uh, dual battery systems and lights. Yeah, I've been really. using them for 20 years, and I haven't had an issue. Yeah. I had the one. Fridges run forever. Yeah. I, I had one issue with the fridge. We came back from Cuba Island, and I noticed this white sticky stuff. 
stuff in the bottom of the fridge. And I thought maybe it was milk or something that spilt. So I cleaned it up and I always leave my fridge open after a trip so they don't smell inside. And a few days later I went back and there's some more there and I cleaned it and it came up again. So eventually I phoned National Lunar and this is what blew my mind away. At that time the fridge was about three years old. And I said to them, listen, I've got this happening with the fridge and I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's gas leaking. I know nothing about fridges, you know. And so the guy that I spoke to, he said, well, please bring the fridge in. And I got there and he looked at it with big eyes. He says, I've got to keep this fridge. And I said, well, you can't keep it. It's my fridge. He says, and he gave me a brand new fridge. And what they did is they cut it open and there's, I think there's a foam inside that hadn't cured properly and that okay. was leaking through. Got it. But after three years of ownership, okay, my fridges are well looked after. He replaced it with a brand new one. Incredible. That was the only time I've ever had an issue with a, a National Lunar product, and I've been a loyal customer of theirs since then. Yeah, they're yeah. they're made in South Africa. They're yeah. they have a proper engineering team. Yeah. You know, they're DC to DC. They have solar inputs, yeah. and yeah, they're they're really it's all quite good, really Absolutely, good. Yeah. So you've got National Lunar fridge. Dual battery system, yeah. um, AGM style battery. Do you have a drawer system in the back? I've got a drawer system. Um, it's a single drawer because normally when I just go with the vehicles, me alone, um, I'm lucky I'd, I travel a lot for business, so um, I do a lot of trips on my own. Yeah. Lucky, unlucky, I don't know what you call it. But it's a very basic system that I keep my kitchen stuff in, some food supplies, some luxuries like cool drinks and stuff yeah. like that. And then next to it, it's got a fridge that slides out with a table underneath the fridge that slides out. Yeah. So very basic system. And then uh, I've put a, a bigger light on the back, which works off the auxiliary battery. So you don't uh, flatten the main battery in the Defender. Oh, um, sure. And then apart from a couple of OEM accessories, that's it. I mean, I've put an easy on roof rack on it. Hmm. Um, I had the OEM roof rack, but it's it's got plastic end bits and, and the slats are quite far apart. So it's very difficult to put wood on top there and yeah, everything. Sure. So, I tested out an easy on rack, and I've just haven't gone back since. It's it's. I like how crazy. their slats go yeah. forward and back because so you can actually sleep on it pretty easily yeah. too. And you know, I'm a big heavy guy, yeah. and when I walk up there, it doesn't flex and it mm. doesn't feel like it's going to break. And I came up with this thing. I was joking with a friend the other day. I said, if you want to test the roof rack, if it's the right for you, take a piece of wood like you would buy on the side of the road and just throw it on the roof rack. If it damages your roof, you've got the wrong roof. <laughs> and with the rack I've got now, that easy one rack, you can't damage the roof, you know? So those are pretty minimal modifications. Yeah. I, do, I do think that that, it speaks to the capability of the Defender. It is very, it's not a rock crawler. You can't compare it to a, sure. a, a Jeep Rubicon or something like that. But uh, for most travel backcountry roads, it's perfect. It's just yeah. gotten more, like again, Venzel's Pass, it felt like I could have put cruise control on. Yeah. It was just really effortless. The vehicle had such an easy time of it. Um, what, tell me about um, what was your most ambitious trip that you've done with one of these Defenders? Sure. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say ambitious, but um, I've done a lot of trips where I've done a lot of solo traveling through Zimbabwe where I went to the most northerly point. Um, and then I traveled through the Zambezi Valley on sort of old, in the, back in the 70s when Rhodesia at that time was at war, they had this track that sort of went to the whole of the Zambezi Valley that they did patrols on. So I drove that entire track and uh, what's very interesting about that is there's 
places where you can go see fossilized dinosaur footprints and stuff like that, which incredible. is incredible. Incredible. And no one knows about it. Um, wow. I actually covered them a little bit on my YouTube channel. Sure. Um, not to advertise my YouTube channel. No, but we'll, you we'll can talk see about it. that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Please don't expect it to be professional because it's probably the least professional channel. Oh, I think there. your stuff is great. Your stuff <laughs> is very authentic and yeah. Yeah, genuine. Um, so I've done a lot of trips like that. I went to the Eastern Highlands in Zimbabwe, which was amazing also. I mean, you've got these massive waterfalls with these pools at the bottom where you can go and swim and it's crystal clear water and you can camp right next to them. There's no one there. Yeah. You know? um, and I think that's where we're lucky in Southern Africa. You've got all these different sort of types of uh, areas that you can go to and you can pretty much go to them within a day or two. Mm. You can go from the hottest desert to the coldest mountaintop within a matter of hours in some places. You know? Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. how do people find out about uh, your higher company, how, how do they find you on that? So uh, pretty much everywhere it's Overlanding with Bruce. Um, I have a website where it's still very new. You Is know, it overlandingwithbruce.com? Yes, correct, okay. yeah. Um, it's still very new. Um, it's only about four or five months old. Um, so the plan is that when I get more customers and I get more pictures, I'll share more pictures of their trips there. Sure. You know, without invading on people's privacy. Sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so that people can sort of see what to expect. Um, and what I've done, the YouTube channel, I never really started to try and start a business. The business came from the YouTube channel, if that makes sure. sense. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm going to try and do more of experience type videos where I show you what you can expect by going to a certain area. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, and hopefully we can provide a really nice solution for people to come and live out their dreams, you know, yeah. their dream trips. Yeah. Well, you're doing it. I uh, mean, you help you, you help me um, achieve a, a dream of, of spending. I've, I have met Kingsley Holgate before, but you helped to support uh, me going to the Africa House's home on the Indian Ocean and uh, spend a couple of days with him and uh, his lovely, lovely wife, Sheila, and, and do an interview with Kingsley. So thank you for making that possible. No, you're very welcome. On Instagram, you're Overlanding with Bruce? Correct, yeah. yeah. And then your YouTube channel is yep. the same? And Facebook. All right, yeah. so that people can find it. Um, if you were to give a couple pieces of advice, maybe you pick your 20-year-old self, maybe you pick a brand new Overlander, uh, what, are, what are a couple things that you tell them? Sure. If I was 20 years old now, I wouldn't be so responsible. <laughs> to <laughs> take be honest, more risk, maybe? I would take more risk. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I grew up in a very traditional way, so I, there was expectations. Not that they were enforced on me, it's just kind of, I grew up like that, so I kind of expected when I was 20, I needed to go to the army in South Africa, which mm -hmm. was, uh, we had to at that time. And then, you know, after that, find a job and then start a, start a life, you know? Yeah. And I think if I had to be 20 year, years old, or sit, I certainly do this and say this to my daughters, as I say, take more risk and go yeah. for more adventures. And everything works out in the end. It you does. Know, don't worry about that paycheck. Mm. Just go out there and have fun and experience all these beautiful places. I mean, I went to Thailand, took my family to Thailand four years ago for the first time, and it blew their minds, you know? And I would, I would highly recommend that 20-year-olds put a backpack on and just hit the road, you know? Go and You're gonna learn a lot about yourself. You're yeah. gonna learn about, a lot about the world. Yeah. It'll change your perceptions of the world. It'll show you that you don't need all the fancy things. You don't Absolutely. need expensive stuff to be happy. 
we need experiences. We need time spent with the people that we love, the people that we care about. Um, well, that's great advice, yeah. Bruce. Thank yeah. you. No, you're I welcome. appreciate thank it. You. And thank you so much for spending the time on the podcast today. No, thank you for honor. thank, thank you. you for being an advocate for <laughs> modern Land Rovers. Uh, I I think that we're going to see more and more of them being yeah. used, and we are already starting to see more and more of them being used because uh, the boogie the boogeyman isn't quite what people thought yeah. it was going to be. So. But I, I would like to ask that if anyone does have problems, please don't contact me and blame me for it <laughs> but <laughs> i can only speak from my experience <laughs> exactly exactly well thank you again yeah. bruce and we thank, thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next time